Hello everyone, and welcome to the Fan Fiction Tapes. I'm your one of your hosts today, Dylan, and with me uh, we have Maya. Hello. And we also have Ian, the producer, sitting in. Hello. And, uh, well, our main topic today is the beginning of the beginning. Can you tell me a bit more about that, Maya? Uh, yeah, so the, the title for today is Begin at the Beginning, um, and this was such a broad topic, we actually, when we're looking at it, we had to split it into two parts. Today's parts cover characters and character relationships, with more of a focus on characters. To start us off with that, well, you have to make your characters somehow, and I know for some people, myself included, it's a little bit harder to make characters than other people can uh, just whip OCs off the top of their head. Uh, Hi, I'm one <laughs> of those people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for those of you who, like me, struggle a little bit with creating characters, um, something some communities kind of frown on is using tropes. Um, as you may have uh, inferred from last episode, we absolutely don't. Tropes are there for a reason use them. Um, some popular ones and stuff that I like to mess around with in some of my writing is the five-man band, um, golden trio, and kind of a mix of both brain and brawn as well as the straight man, funny man dynamic. Yeah, the... <laughs> I'm more of a proponent of a six-man band. I like to add an extra one in there. Uh, mostly because I have two trios then. I'm a fan of the two trios thing. <laughs> you have main, and then you have secondary. <laughs> but they can be quite, they can be yeah, quite fluid. Um, and if you're not familiar with some of those terms, um, overly sarcastic production has a series on uh, tropes called trope talks, um, and they talk about uh, kind of a lot of the stuff that we've just mentioned here. I highly recommend you go check them out if you're not familiar with them, but. You can also see in a lot of popular media, I mean, Percy Jackson, um, shoot, I'm actually failing to think of something that's got a five-man band off the top of my head. Um, well, the classic there is uh, Power Rangers. Ah. I don't think I've actually seen any Power Rangers. Uh, absurd. <laughs> Dylan, sounds like you have something to say there. Oh yeah, as a big, big Power Rangers fan, uh, yeah, the interesting thing, though, when you think about it, is uh, Power Rangers always adds the extra ranger, or uh, there's not typically many seasons actually stick with just the general five, but if you look at the older Super Sentai, it wasn't until uh, the series they started adapting uh which was uh, Zoo Ranger in uh, 1992, I believe. That was the first time they had a Six Ranger, and I think that it's weird that Power Rangers have always stuck to that, just because the first Sentai series, if you don't know, uh, Power Rangers, all the in-costume parts are Japanese and then dubbed over with American act actors, whereas, you know, the rest of it is all American production. Technically a New Zealand production. Uh, but yeah, it's a really uh, unique thing. But yeah, the, but they typically start out with five, but they have changed the formula. Sometimes they start out with three and build to five, or three and build to six. Overall, I, I do think it's... <laughs> the five-man group or, you know, five-person group it's always a good one because you get such a mix of personalities and dynamics. Like, I I would consider it a good way to also diversify your cast off the boot. Just in terms of personalities. Is there any other ones that you two are familiar <laughs> with? I know I, I, um, I would love to talk about Power Rangers forever, but... Uh, I'm, trying to find another I'm just wondering. To talk about. <laughs> um, I guess the reason we talk about these is they introduce dynamics, right? With uh, Percy Jackson's one, I'm going to lean on heavily here because I've read it somewhat recently again. Um, you have 
your main three. You have your hypothetical chosen one, you have his best friend, and then you have um, the smart one who gets them out of trouble. And that can introduce some really nice dynamics uh, into your story. And, I mean, that's just why these tropes are popular. That's why they exist. That's why they've continued on through storytelling for a long time. Because, I mean, they work. People like them. They're enjoyable. Um, and they're an easy way to start up some dynamics. Um, I've heard it once said, I don't remember where, that tropes are kind of like a storytelling shortcut. And that's how I use them with characters. I use them as a shortcut to start building characters. Um, there's some stuff I will get into later about how I flush them out past that point. Um, but that's a good transition for, well, okay, you have your, like, set of characters, right? You know loosely the dynamics. Who do you flesh out? And why? And where? Um, something that you've probably heard if you've looked at any internet discussion ever is... 1D characters or 2D characters, you know, people complaining about them. Um, and so you may be thinking, oh no, do I have to make all my characters super complex, three-dimensional, four-dimensional characters? Here's the secret. No. Um, <laughs> it's okay to have one-dimensional and two-dimensional characters if they're kind of more side characters. Um, or especially if it's at the start, you can flush them out later. Um, one of my personally favorite series, The Dresden Files, uh, has a character by the name of Butters. Waldo Butters. And he's, at the start, just kind of this one-off funny character to interact with Dresden. Um, and Jim Butcher has come out and said that he really only intended this character to be a one-off. Um... But as he kept writing the character and as he appeared in some later relevant stories, he gained depth. You don't need to have every character in your world be fully f this fully fleshed out human. They can be a bit of um, a vehicle for the plot um, when they're side characters. You obviously want your main characters to have more flesh to them because they're who you want your audience to get invested in. Uh, and if you have someone who's a little bit more like cardboard than a character it's going to be harder for your audience to get invested in that character yeah if you look at many examples of differences between uh like a, a more developed character uh compared to someone who is you know you know a trope or one note doesn't do much you you can find all sorts of examples in media if you just look at one thing and go well he doesn't do much besides for what he needs to do so, whereas you will have characters you know sort of your main cast and a few others you know s heavily supporting characters that will have interesting stories i do think there's a way you know if you you can say all right, I'm going to go by a rule for how I make every character. Like, uh, I think it was George R. Martin who said, when he makes A Song of Ice and Fire, when he designs a character, he gives them one secret. It might not ever come up, but he gives them that, just in case. And I think that's always a good way, is if you're designing a character and are struggling with making them, you just try and give them something, one thing they like, one thing, you know... Maybe well, what are the, what's their hobby, and I think, I think that's great. I think that's a great way to go about it, especially if you struggle to make characters. That having a rule, make it a game, see how far you can get. That actually kind of reminds me of something I kind of wanted to touch on this episode, um, and I actually used a phrase in our script that reminds me of D and D. Um, D and D character sheets are actually pretty effective way of fleshing out characters. Um, say what you will about Wizards of the Coast, but that's a decent way. The bonds, ideals, flaws, hell, you can even like go to the D&D Starts books, and this stuff is available online if you don't have the books uh, physically, and just pull at some, find ones that, you know, like, 
pull at you for that character, you know, maybe modify them a little bit so they fit better in your world or with the character themselves, but they can be excellent, excellent starting points of, okay, here's this neat little, um, unique thing about this character that kind of makes them stand out. Um, I'm actually going to pull a line from one of my favorite shows, um, Imperfections Are Beautiful. They have characters who are a little odd. A quick anecdote of uh, what I did uh, when designing some characters for something I was doing. Uh, what I did is, you know those online personality tests that you can do and, they, you know, the ones that put you into various groups, you know, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert or whatever. You're familiar with those? I did uh, one each for my six main characters and and just answered them as if I was those characters. And it was very fun, honestly, and a lot of work, but I, I did. And it, it helps me, because when you think about a character sometimes, you're just like, what do they do in the story? But then sometimes you've got to be asked some questions you wouldn't think about. And I think the personality tests, pretending to be those characters, is always a good way to do it. Because now it, it also gives you an extra thing of, well, what were they like? maybe before this whatever inciting incident took this character somewhere else. I definitely think that use everything. You know, if you need it, you're struggling, just use everything. Yeah, that's um, kind of a good transition point almost to the next point I wanted to talk about. Uh, thank you, Dylan, for giving me Excellent transition points. Um, your characters existed before the story started. Well, I mean, presumably, unless you have a character who's bored on the first page, at which point they didn't. But in most cases, uh, your characters are supposed to have a history, a past, stuff that happened before the story starts. People they already have relationships with, even. And... Developing some of that as you're building the character. Okay, you know, who's their best friend? Um, who do they hate? Uh, those are some really strong ones. P people they hate, pe who's their best friend? Um, because those are pretty visceral emotions for people. And if you can make us relate of, oh, this is someone this character hates, and I hate them too, that's really strong. Don't be afraid to make people hate some characters you make. Because that can be one of the best things in a series is a character who you love to hate. Yeah, and when it comes to developing characters, uh, there's obviously the misconception that character development happens in the story. You know, that's character growth. Character development is when uh, what came before we met them and how they developed as a character uh, through experiences we don't really see. And that's my... Uh, way of thinking about it anyway and uh, I've done a lot of character development in the past uh, Maya is familiar with how I make D&D characters I send <laughs> very large sheets to DMs <laughs> and go yep. have fun with this <laughs> you know some people are like here's 10 lines I'm like here's five pages, have fun, DM. And usually, you know, the DM wraps in barbed wire and hits me in the face with it later. <laughs> but that's always my goal. And especially when it comes to character relationships, because uh, when you're building a character, if you don't have those relationships installed in their backstory, uh, it, it becomes kind of difficult to then put them in situations later so if you think that you have your main character and your main character doesn't relate to anyone or have any sort of past you know they don't have the friend they don't have the the family or whatever then you're going to struggle to connect them you've got to introduce every character and then make the main character care about this character and then they don't know everything. you got to learn everything. Sometimes it's good to just have your character know some stuff, you know. 
have your main character or your point of view character explain to us about this character. You don't have to have the new character explain themselves to your main character and the reader at the same time. I had something I wanted to add, but it's escaping me at the moment. Is there, like, a student character who you think is well-developed in, like, a, a way where you think, oh, there's a lot of stuff put into the background of this character and how just what they were like before. I find older characters tend to have a lot of that, you know. Well, there's one character who I really want to mention, but I'm trying to save that discussion for our fifth episode. Uh, <laughs> you can save that then. Me too. Uh, <laughs> the both of you, oh my. Um, we may not be thinking, I don't know if we're necessarily thinking of the same character here, Maya. Um, we might not be. But um, we're probably both thinking of characters from the Locked Tomb. Yes. I guess what I could pull up who isn't from the Locked Tomb is Harry Dresden in the Dresden Files. Um, mm, you're probably going to yeah. hear me go on about this series a lot because yeah. I love it. It is a very good series. When we meet Harry Dresden, he has already had something similar to like the first book of the Percy Jackson series happen to him. He's already had an adventure. Things have happened to him. He's an adult. He's in, I think, his mid-twenties when we first meet him. Um, maybe even in his thirties. He's old. He's had some life adventures. And that affects him. That affects the character and the way he interacts with people. He's suspicious of individuals who have certain jobs or do certain things because he's had bad experiences with those folks in the past. Um, I'm obviously trying not to spoil anything because some of these details are major spoilers for the series, but his past experiences and actions inform some of his decision-making. Past experiences make him a bit rash in some of his actions and one to respond with overwhelming force, which is part of why I really like the series. Kind of without the experiences he's had, and the author does eventually go into them, but they aren't obviously something we're told from the get-go. Without those past experiences, he wouldn't be half as alive as he is. Yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with it, but to use my example of developing a character. Uh, so, obviously... Everyone has seen the TV show A Game of Thrones, but I have not. Maya, don't, I, mean, I don't care for spoilers, don't, but no, don't, don't, don't. You can watch a few of. It. I'm one of these people, right? I'm very rare. Season one is great. I have a little, a little problems, but I'm such a book purist when it comes to it that I'm just like. Yeah, as soon as they started changing stuff, they started removing the bricks. It was never going to work. <laughs> nah, that's just my opinion, though. Uh, so, Jamie Lannister is the character I wanted to talk about. So, people who've watched the TV show will be quite familiar with the idea of him uh, through season one and two. The thing is, though, in the books, he is not very much a character at all. And it's very interesting because in book one and book two, he's just a character that we see from other people's point of view. Whereas in uh, Storm of Swords, we finally get to see the point of view of Jamie Lannister. And it, doing that, you can see all the development put into that for a character that, you know, wasn't getting his own point of view told until the third book. And those books are very long. Okay. <laughs> uh, Currently, I'm uh, going through the Storm Swords in uh, an audiobook form, and I don't think Jamie Lannister's had, like, one speaking word, and if he did, it was, like, in one chapter ages ago. I'm about, uh, I got 15 hours left, uh, and he hasn't been seen for a while, so it's crazy to think about how this character, who is so important to the story, a future point of view character, and he's been seen in maybe one chapter in the entire uh, novel, uh, the second novel so far. But he becomes very important and is a great character. Really just shows how 
good development and thinking characters out. You can turn them around and people's perception of them, you know. And long series definitely have that a lot, where there's this guy who's uh, important for like one minute in the first book. Oh, he's going to be very important uh, throughout the entirety of the third story. Who would have guessed? But that's what proper, proper development and planning can do. Actually, that reminds me of something um, with adaptations. Um, the Martian. Uh, if you haven't seen it or read it, go do so. Um, generally, I'm a bigger fan of the book. Um, it's by Andy Weir. Uh, than of the movie... Except for one respect, there's a character, um, so I guess minor spoilers, but, um, named Martinez, who's supposed to be pretty good friends with the main character, Mark Watney. And in the book, it's not quite as obvious the friendship they have, but some changes they make, uh, near the end of the movie, uh really shine through his friendship and the things that they would do for each other and that's just not as clear in the book it was a change they made that I actually really liked um, it's not often I like those changes but yeah I guess it's kind of tangent to one point you can show us how characters are people rather than just outright telling us um, through the actions they do and what they would will do for one another so, is there any uh, anything else you wanted to talk to me about today? And uh, yes, there is a few other things. Um, I guess it's good time to bring this up. Is well, we've been talking about characters and how you build them, and that's all very relevant for original fiction and. Or for D or for D and D building your own characters, uh, or when you're telling fanfic with OCs. But what do you do when you're not doing that? And kind of comparing these things against how you do this uh, this exposition period, how you do it in original fiction, but also how you do it in fan fiction. Um, I guess some context. I myself write a bit of fan fiction. <laughs> Uh, and I primarily write with established characters in this series. What I like to do is I like to take the characters um, and put them in new situations, new scenarios, things that didn't happen, put them in alternate universes. And so, while I don't have to do quite as much of this work of building up characters as people, but when I'm working in an AU, I, or, which is, I guess, for those who don't know, short for alternate universe, um, I have to go, okay, how would their life experiences have changed them? And I have to work those in without just telling you what happened. Because that's not as interesting to read. Um, and I try to work that in without just slapping you in the face with it. Yeah, whenever you are to work with established characters, you the first thing you have to consider in what I think is the most most important step is what am I keeping? What am I changing? You know, everyone who writes an established character is going to have a different interpretation of the character and how they would act in a situation. So you've got to figure out, well, what, what would my version of this person do in this situation? Maybe ask around, see what others in your fandom think they would do, and then go, well, what would mine, mine do in my alternate universe? Uh, what I typically find when I'm writing is uh, I, I try to make my characters more reasonable. I, I like to think I'm a reasonable person, so I try to make mine more reasonable, uh, but more difficult to communicate it's more a lot of stuff is internalized by my characters they're like well i want to do something about this but how do i go about it and at least conversations and maybe some of the characters who are right in the actual you know whatever medium they're from originally would be a, a bit more aggressive a bit more out there wouldn't bottle stuff up inside but that's just the way i would Right, most characters. 
Uh, of course, there are exceptions, but that's the way I do it. <laughs> and I think you, when you're making, uh, you know, your version of a character, the best thing to do is figure out what elements you keep, what and what you have to keep to make this character the same character and not just an original character. Yeah. Have you ever encountered that where you've thought uh, whenever you're reading or writing that this character is no longer the same one from the medium? You know? Have you ever encountered that value? I definitely have, but uh, Ian, have you? Hmm. That's a lot of thoughts. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't. There's. There's nothing that's coming to mind. That's for me. Um, I, I would have honestly figured you would have uh, from the fandom we all met through. Uh, <laughs> well, there's that. I see. I have figured some memories. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, we three met through the fandom known as Ruby. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, it comes. It does come to mind a character who typically gets uh, his personality change in quite a radical way. I mean, in a lot of fanfics, even beyond just Jean, it happens a lot with that series in general. Is the fandom will kind of take one or two lines from the show that became popular throughout the fandom because they're kind of funny or you know scenes like that, and they'll extrapolate it out to be a large part of that character's personality. Um, actually, what I'm thinking about here is Ruby, who in the first episode uh-huh. uh, rapidly really is shown devours, to enjoy cookies. Yes, rapidly uh, devours a plate of cookies. And so a lot of fans have extrapolated that to be uh, Ruby loves cookies. But there has been a Q&A, I think, somewhere where the show creator actually stated that her favorite food is strawberries. Yeah, and that's... And And that's forgotten. Yeah, it's forgotten really, really often. The Um, funny thing is, neither of those come up again, though, in the the rest of the show. Yeah. Like, neither do the cookies nor the strawberries. No, the strawberries is never in the show proper. No, that's if, just from the If Q&A. you didn't seek out, if you've never sought out any um, creator commentaries, okay. you would never know that. And that's probably a reason that it's forgotten, because it's not in the text. Definitely part of the reason. Uh, another character who I think Dylan was about to mention this was with a character named Jean, who is. He is, I believe, by the creators, intended to be a parody of the self insert anime protagonist. Um. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin, um, which is sometimes used for this and is sometimes thought of by society as the norm, but that's getting off track. Um, And a lot of people, when they look at this character, go, oh, this is a self-insert from the writers. And Um, he's also a plucky underdog character because he starts off the show um, knowing way less uh, and that also means that he's also a character that other characters can explain things about the world to. Yes. And he gets a lot of... Chadization? <laughs> yeah. Let's make Jean awesome. Yes, there is a particular writer, I'm not going to try and do anything about it, but there's an author who I recall who, one of the things, and this evidently appeals to quite a lot of people because he's very popular on his chosen platform, where basically what he does is he takes this character and puts him into another AU, um, fundamentally changes the character, in my opinion, uh, and then tells a story with that. And that's fine if that's what you like. Um, It's not what I like. It's what I try to avoid. I find it a little boring after a while. Well, they basically revert Jean back to what he was meant to parody. He becomes the self-insert character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I'm trying to not come for anyone's cheese because it's it's fandom. It's if you don't well, like it, don't read it. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's what I do. I don't read it. Um, it's not something I personally enjoy. Um, but 
no harm and only a mild amount of smark to people... Er, snark. I can words. <laughs> no harm and only a mild amount of snark to the folks who do. Um, you enjoy what you enjoy. That is another thing, though, uh, just speaking about characters, is you do get the flanderization of the bat with certain characters, just because the audience have flanderized them to a certain point in their own head. Uh, so then the writer looks at them, and then uh, suddenly only they only are known for the one thing in the fan fiction or whatever, if uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. I assume everyone knows the terms uh, flanderization. For those who don't, uh, flanderization, I believe that's named after the Simpsons character Ned Flanders. I believe so as well, yeah. Um, and it's where uh, a character's traits end up, cer- certain traits end up getting um, exaggerated from where they were at the beginning of the story. Things go from being a minor part to the thing they are known for to the only thing they do. <laughs> like Ruby and the Cookies. Yes, that's a. Uh particularly common one within the Ruby fandom. Um, I'm trying to think of some others right now, but... Uh, Yang with puns? <laughs> yeah. Um, although, to be fair, puns are funny. Um... <laughs> puns are automatically funny. <laughs> <laughs> Punny, even. Oh, no. Hey. <laughs> but... Flanderization in the Ruby fandom is a lot more common, I think, than it is in most of the other fandoms I'm in. I'm trying to remember off the top of my bat. Off the top of my bat. Mmm. Phrasing. <laughs> top of the, off. Well, have you ever read any fanfiction of the things you listed out earlier, the Dresden Files or Percy Jackson, or do you avoid that fanfiction? Sometimes I do that. <laughs> Percy Jackson, yeah. I don't think there's much Dresden Files. I looked once or twice. Um, but I didn't find much. Um, Dresden Files, if it has much, it probably has Flanderization. <laughs> Do you guys know, like, who's probably the uh, the character who gets Flanderized the most out of any fanfiction character, if we look at them? Like, <laughs> who can we look to and say... In the fan fiction world, you're the Ned Flanders here. You're the person who gets drilled down to one thing every single time you're in a story. If we think about popular fandoms for fan fiction, you know, uh, the fa- <laughs> the story that shall not be named, Harry Potter, obviously. Uh, you have things like, I think The Walking Dead is very popular. Obviously, I was part of that fandom for <laughs> 10 years. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think certain characters in that got Flanderized. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me the problem is I live under a rock, um, <laughs> and I don't often pick up on more popular stuff. Um, that's partly because I've got more niche interests. Um, I mean, Arcane, I guess, is really the only popular thing I've really latched on to. I could see it, some arcane characters getting drilled down to one or two elements of their character. Because yeah. those characters are very complex. <laughs> and I think certain people would not see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and sometimes also it's just easier if you have a character who, in a figure writing, they're a background character. Um, like, actually, I recently wrote one with Jace, and I kind of. He's actually the focus character for that, but this is something based on another fic. I just took a few character points and simplified them because I didn't need a super complex character to tell what I wanted to tell. I was basically making a long 2,000 word joke. So I I did kind of simplify them a bit. I would bet Jace gets simplified. Um, Jinx as well. I would bet receives flanderization. Yeah, that would uh, that one makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's it's very easy to reduce her character to um, uh, chaos, gremlin, and explosions. 
Yeah. And while Chaos Gremlin and explosions are fun, <laughs> there's a lot more going on with Jinx than just Chaos Gremlin and explosions. When you think about, like, how even in, like, when someone writes an adaptation, especially of comic book characters, sometimes you can find that those characters can get fl- flanderized too. Where, you know, they this character's been around for 60 years or whatever, but the writer says, I like the part where he was like this in this certain time period where I read it, so he's going to be like that all the time and only like that. <laughs> you know, you can't find elements like that too. I bet Star Wars is bad with stuff like that because oh, oh the probably yeah. <laughs> I I've not read much of Star Wars stuff, and almost all of what I've read has been uh, in the extended universe, the no longer canon stuff. Um, Legends, yes. Yeah, I don't call it Legends because I think that is incorrect. Simply, <laughs> but yeah, I I'm not mad that Disney made it all not canon. What do you mean? <laughs> To be fair to Disney, a, a vast amount to? of the viewing. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, what do we have next to talk about, guys, off this tangent? <laughs> um, <laughs> next is something that I particularly really want to talk about um, because, okay, this is going to require a little bit of explanation, but some of my friends are into Warhammer. Um, Warhammer 40k, and there's a popular series in it called Gaunt's Ghosts. Uh, a lot of details about it. I actually haven't read it that series myself. I've heard fairly good things about it, but something that happens within it is a lot of death, because it's it's Warhammer. People die all the time. War- However, Warhammer 40k is the series that invented the word Grimdark. Yes. Um, uh, I believe that is... It's like the in the in the grim darkness grim of dark. the fortieth millennium, there is only war. Yes, that's the phrase I was trying to think of and was going to butcher. Um, death happens all the time, um, but as a writer, death, and as a reader, death isn't going to really mean anything. And of course, there's the whole concept of meaningless death. You want. St- structurally meaningful death, but, like, to the characters it's going to seem meaningless. Um, Because otherwise the death isn't going to have any impact on your readers. Um, And to do that, you need to sell the characters to us. Why should we care about them? Um, (laughs) Long tangent to explain this point, but... Something that's important to do when writing original fiction, or when writing OCs, and even when writing fanfic with established characters, you don't have to do as much of it because we're already there for the characters or we're there for the setting. So there's less work there, but you still have to sell the characters to us. Why do we care? A lot of characters I think about that I care about in whatever media I consume them in, whether I'm reading about them or uh, watching them in a TV show, I think of elements that can immediately get to me. What what are ones that usually get you to go, whatever this is, I care about this character and what they are doing now. What grabs uh, you, Maya? Oh, a really instant grab for me, and this should be no surprise given how I play my D&D characters, is if someone's snarky, especially snarky to power. I love that. That's part of why I've talked about the Dresden Files and uh, Percy Jackson, because the main characters in both series are sarcastic, and they're sarcastic to things that should be terrifying them. It's almost their fear response is to snark. I love that. Um, <laughs> that is, if I'm reading something, characters in danger, and I say something sarcastic, mm, neuron activation. Uh, for me, uh, I would say anyone compassionate in any way. Someone, you know, 
It, it usually gets me into a lot of trust issues, that one, though. Because many people can be compassionate, but also be very selfish then later, and I'm like, no! Why, why would you do this to them? You helped them earlier, you were very nice. <laughs> but that's one of the ones for me, just like, someone who cares, like, about other people. That's just, it grabs me. I'm like, you're a very nice person, and I care about you because you were very nice to this other character who deserves it right now. Yeah, I, I'd say that's also a hook for me. Um, Ian, you started to say something, I think? Oh, I was just going to comment on, on uh, Harry Dresden. If uh, if he can't snark, you know a character is uh, terrifying. Yeah, and that, that's actually something as well. Um, good to touch on is have things that characters do, and then when you want things to be bad, they don't do them. Right? Spider-Man is known for being witty and sarcastic all the time, even when going into seemingly death-defying battles. And so when he's not, you know, snarky and he's not witty, that's scary. That's terrifying. Um, and you can use stuff like that to make your character seem a little bit real, because... I could be snarky, yeah, not all the time, um, but the, I have behaviors that I do as a person that change when I'm scared or when I need to get down to business. Um, in particular, something that I do is I talk a lot less <laughs> when um, something really needs to happen, when I, uh, there's a project I'm working on that's behind deadline um i just kind of get into the zone um but when i'm when we're meeting deadline i'm a lot more chatty prone to distraction <laughs> <laughs> mine if I, I would think about me and what i do i'm definitely a stressor i stress out a lot i talk about stuff a lot you know, just trying to get it out there, like, this is what I'm doing, I don't know if it'll work, if it doesn't work, I I, I, I don't know what I'll do then, but I have to think of something. <laughs> That's really, there's plans on plans on plans, contingency, what to do next. <laughs> it's very yeah, stressful. Yeah, there's um, actually something as well. Um, pull stuff about your characters from people you know, I don't know if I've said this, I don't think I have. Um... Uh, pull from yourself, pull from people around you when you're designing original characters for traits. Like, one of my best friends um, does not swear. Ever. Um, I've heard him swear exactly once, and I've known him for seven years. Um, and so stuff like that, where they change something about their behavior, that's part of what I was trying to say earlier. Uh, but, like, yeah, I'm a little loopy. Um. <laughs> well, uh, Maya, who is apparently loopy, <laughs> is there anything else uh, that we have to discuss? We actually made it through pretty much all of the script. Um, we're even this we're, we're doing really time. good on time. Yeah, we're doing really good on time today. Um, I guess talk a little bit more about character relationships because we've left that um, a little bit more untouched and that was something I wanted to touch on this episode um, kind of setting them up early because that that makes the world feel a little bit more real and less like a um, you're just wandering through a video game right um because these, these characters have relationships. Um, in the Dresden Files, I'm going to avoid pulling from the Long Tomb again because this is something I want to talk about what? on the fifth episode. Yeah. <laughs> in the Dresden Files, um, you have the main character, Harry Dresden, and then you have... I don't want to say sidekick um, because that's not really what she is, but... 
one of the characters who he works a lot with um, is, I believe, Sergeant Karen Murphy. Uh, she works for the Chicago Police Department. And... They already met um, several years before the opening of the first book. And so they have this kind of established dynamic. They just get into it. And it makes the world feel a little bit more. And we meet uh, Sergeant Murphy in, like, chapter two, if not earlier. Um, and it's, it's stuff that happens early because you can use uh, character relationship dynamics as a bit of a hook to readers. And to keep people invested you may want to kind of drop that hook a little bit earlier rather than, you know, hitting us with the world. And, because that can, depending on how you do it, um, that can be a little boring for some readers. Um, you want to try and balance introducing the world and also introducing characters and character relationships uh, to try and just hook people. Um, this is actually a dynamic I've thought about a lot for uh, a thing I've been writing. And it was, okay, so of my main six characters, four of them will know each other uh, for years. They're very familiar on to a certain level. What I'll have... These two are best friends. They knew these two. This one had like a friendly rivalry. And then the other two I'll introduce a lot later uh, in their sort of world, but still early on in the story that I'm trying to tell. But just to give the idea of these four know each other a lot more. <laughs> and these two know each other extremely well. So it's about... You know, look at your character cast and go, would it make sense if these two knew a bit more about each other? You know, you have to look at what you got and maybe start making lines or <laughs> drawing stuff and going, yeah, this works. I think this works. <laughs> yeah, that's um something with D&D as well as I've started doing this is I've... Um, gone to a friend when there's a campaign we're both joining starting soon and go, hey, do you want to have our characters already know each other from before this? And that allows for some really great role-playing, um, which is part of D&D, &D, um, is kind of playing the role of these characters and interacting. That kind of allows for that. And you also get these... It feels a lot deeper than when I would just make a character and put them in a party it feels a little bit more immersive for me um, and having uh, having them know each other because you can you can kind of really easily start with these dynamics of you know, okay, those two, they know each other really well. Actually, kind of what um, Dylan just mentioned I'm doing in one of the games I'm in where my character and a friend's character have known each other for like a decade. They're close. Actually, decades in overestimation, but you get the point. And then when they have to interact with the rest of the party who kind of more know each other well, and there's kind of that gap, that creates some fun dynamics, some fun scenes, because you can get really real. This happens in real life all the time. Um, my IRL friend group, I was the last addition to, um, because... Most of them knew each other prior to high school, and I was a few years younger, so that there's some separation. And I really only had a bond with a couple of folks in that group because we played the same games. And over time, we got closer. And that's that's how real life works. You can absolutely have that in your stories as well. That's going to make it feel real and relatable to people. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel a lot of that. All that very solid, very good. I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> um, I guess something we've been not really talking about, but mentioning at the edges is, oh, we're talking about friends, talking about this, folks who are close. Well, what about people who really freaking hate each other? Uh, no offense. 
if you get the reference, you get the reference. Um, because dynamics of hate can be just as, if not more interesting than dynamics of love and close friendship. Because one of, and this is for me something that can really get me involved. There's someone who I can hate. Um, someone who, you know, pisses off the main character. That is a really good way to get me hooked. And I, I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, having, you know, like an injustice done on another character. And you can have kind of an unreliable narrator to do this as well if you want. I really love a character I can hate. <laughs> um, in the Cosmere, there's a character who, as she's saying his name, is a little spoiler, so I'm not going to. But pretty much everyone hates him. And I hate him for good reason. And that's that's a good hook, is you mm, you really hate that character. Uh, I'm not actually certain how to give advice on that, because I have not done that with my writing so much. I've really mostly done likable characters, because I like writing lighter and fluffier stuff. I think, uh, if I think about my favorite villains... In media, I immediately go as well to one sort of trope that I love, and it's kind of an an inverse of a trope. But when the bad guys win through the power of friendship, I always love that. <laughs> like they have such strong bonds together and everything. And all this development and their relationships are really strong. And just for a moment. They they take, you know, what the good guys would normally use and go, now we're, we're doing it this time. You can't stop us. <laughs> uh, are you guys also a fan of that troupe? I don't know if I've seen that before. Oh, it, it it's amazing whenever it happens. I'm I'm a big fan. <laughs> I, like yeah, they just... I do. I do like when mm -hmm. when when uh when a work takes, uh, things that are normally heroic qualities and gives them to the villains well yeah it's great it's like one of the one of the villains uh what i'm thinking about is just like you uh this is your dream i'm gonna help you uh fulfill it even if it costs me my life <laughs> and it's just like wow these two are so close and they're terrible people <laughs> Like that, and that sounds like something really heroic. You would say, <laughs> if there was the two good guys or someone you liked, but it's just two villains, and you're like, you're just like, what? <laughs> what is happening? What are these two doing? This you're meant to be bad. You're meant to meant to hate everyone. You're not allowed to have friends. Bad guys don't have friends. They use everyone, but in this case, no. They're just a bunch of people who came together and were like. Let's do some evil stuff. And I also love you all. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite villains um, is almost the opposite of that. Um, and th I do think that if I had read anything with that, I would love it. I just don't know if I have. Um, but a lot of villains that are enjoyable for me are just absolute right bastards. Um, oh, whoops. We're on stream. <laughs> I've been trying to filter it. Um, but folks who are... The worst of the worst. Terrible people. Yeah. They're just downright evil. Can also be enjoyable because... You love to see those folks get their comeuppance. Yeah, there's one example I can think about this uh, from my favorite video game series. One of the characters, the like secondary bad guy, just shows up and is like, Hey, remember when I uh, stabbed your best friend? Was that funny? I enjoyed that a lot. And the main character's like, Alright then, I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, I guess something to finish up with is 
compelling character traits for us, like stuff that we like to see. Because um, we talked about it a little bit briefly, but let's just go into it a little bit more before we wrap up for today. Um, for me, I will always like compassionate, brave people who put a lot of weight on themselves. I can always look towards a character like that and go, yep, I really like you. <laughs> people who basically do things for others who are weaker than them. That's something I always like. What about you, Maya? I... Oops, sorry. Um, I heard no, I was just asking, what about you? Ah. Uh, well, obviously, as I stated, I, I love characters who are... Who can be snarky to power. Um, but I, lo I love characters who are loyal and who are principled. Characters who go, This is my line in the sand... I will not cross it. Um, characters who are good friends, but also I do enjoy me some characters who are a little bit screwed up. Um, characters who fight or struggle with mental illnesses are big for me because I myself have mental illnesses. Um, there's actually a character who's written very much like he has depression, although I believe the author has come out and said that he that is not intentional. Um, the character Kaladin from the Stormlight Archives series is a big one for me because he has principles. Actually, he makes a few mistakes, and that's also kind of nice as a character who they make mistakes, they learn from them, and they grow. Love that. But he has his own internal demons that he fights... Um, and even if it's not entirely intentional by the author, it definitely looks like a very faithful representation of what it can be like to be depressed. Ian, I know you have some um, interesting character um, <coughs> opinions. Uh, have any things you'd like to share as well? Uh, oh boy. I have a little little bit of a soft spot slash guilty pleasure for um, manipulative characters. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, manipulative characters can be really fun to read um, and to hate. I love hating them. Um, oh, I know you love to hate manipulative characters. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an easy way to make a a a character that that people love to hate, um, and it's a characteristic that tends to show up on villains. Um, usually, yeah. Usually, um, I can actually think of of one heroic example that probably neither of you, um have ever um read because it's a web comic that concluded several years ago called dominic deegan oracle for hire uh the protagonist of whom is a wizard who specializes in divination and otherwise doesn't have a whole lot of uh combat ability uh he can do illusions and he can see the future and so he wins by setting up things so that uh, his family and friends succeed and his enemies fail. And he has a habit of not telling anyone what he's doing when he's doing that. So you end up with, with scenes like he's, he sits down, looks around, makes sure no one's there, and then steeples his fingers and says, yes, my puppets dance. <laughs> that sounds like that would be a fun read I'm going to have to check that out later um, the, the art style is a little rough and never really gets much better but I think that's a bit of its charm yeah I mean I, I read uh, 
through at one point all pretty much all of what was available at the time of Elgunish Shive. So that one's still ongoing. Yes, it is. Um, I haven't checked on it in a while because I have too many Chrome tabs open on my phone. Um, <laughs> Close them. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's something of an in-joke with this group because they're always annoyed at me for how many Chrome tabs I have open on my PC. I have way too many. Have you hit, have you hit four digits yet? I have never hit four digits with Chrome tabs on my computer. I have long ago surpassed four digits on my phone. Um, and that's because <laughs> the phone deals with memory differently. So it's easier to do that. I don't know if I can actually exceed four digits on my PC. This is so painful. <laughs> Let's move. On. move on. Yeah. All Boy, right. We are. I think we are. We are about an hour now. Um, I don't. I don't know. Well, uh... If if uh, we have much more time to talk about this, I'm a little surprised that considering that this is a podcast about um, fan fiction and that we're talking about relationships, that we haven't brought up shipping at all. We have not. Oh my god, that's completely an and, oversight on my part. Uh huh. Considering that that seems what to be a a major driver of a lot of fan fiction. Is oh, absolutely! People, yeah, people, people want to take characters and see how a relationship between them would go, or they think that, or maybe well, they what? think that the relationship should exist in the show and it doesn't. So, but yeah, there's reasons that people might want to put two characters together and see see the sparks fly. Absolutely. What I would say to that is we should save this for a larger discussion later. Oh, make, uh, um, make them wait. Like perhaps perhaps <laughs> in February when we have a, a whole month on relationships? Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. That sounds like a, a very appropriate time for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> what a coincidence. It's <laughs> almost uh, as if we planned it. Yeah. But we, I guess, I guess we... we are kind of out of time to talk more about this um, today. Yes, we do have a writing prompt, one I prepared in advance this time. Um, so our prompt for this week is to write a scene where two characters meet and say something about both characters without simply telling us it. Um, an example scene of something like this that... I received in my writing class that I took recently was eye contact because that's a pretty big thing for a lot of people, right? There's a lot of stories about eye contact. There's a lot of scenes with eye contact in that in media. Write something with eye contact. Um, if you're struggling a little bit, maybe include that. But just write a scene where you've got two characters meet. Okay. And if, if any of our listeners actually follow through on that writing prompt and want to share that with us, you can email it to uh, fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, Who knows? We might even feature it if it's really yeah, good. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's something we can con consider. We'll, we'll definitely uh, read it, though. I always yeah. could do with more reading material. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess we've hit our word count for today. So uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, we'd like everyone to come back next week for part two. Uh, we'll be talking more about uh, setting and plot. Um, until then, uh, you can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, we should also be coming soon to uh, Google Podcasts, um, Amazon and Audible, uh, and Stitcher, uh, and iHeartRadio. Um we're hosted on ACAST, so we can also provide just a uh, RSS feed uh, for whatever podcatcher you use. Um, wherever you listen or watch us, please uh, find us, like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. Um, we want to build our audience, and that all helps us out a lot. Um, until next time, uh, I have been Ian. I have been Maya. And I have been Dylan.
Oh, 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 oh,